0: Well, today I'm bringing the message. So this is a great honor and a great privilege for me today to be bringing the Word to you. So thanks to Pastor Steve and all of you for this, just a wonderful opportunity. It's funny, this week at staff meeting on Tuesday, some of the guys are giving me a hard time. Because they asked me, uh, Eddie, what's your sermon this Sunday? Is it uh, passion driving life? I guess I had given them uh, the title for my message, and I don't have the greatest penmanship. So they wrote out there, The Passion Driven Life. And I said, yeah, my message is about driving passionately in Southern California. (laughs) But it's really not. The message this morning is about having a passionate, driven life. Now, hopefully a couple of years ago, with Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life, you all figured out what your purpose is in life. Did everyone figure out their purpose a couple of years ago? Right? Well, today we're going to talk about having a passionate, driven life. And in the past few weeks, in the past couple of months, the different people have shared with me, I've kind of lost that spark, Pastor Eddie. You know, I've lost that fire. I don't have that enthusiasm or that energy That I once had about the things of God. You know, and people ask me, where has it gone? You know, where's that excitement, that enthusiasm for Jesus that I once had? And there's a lot of people that have been sharing with me, I want to get that fire back. I want to get that enthusiasm back. I want to get that passion back in my life about the things of God. And serving God. And for those of us that have been Christians for many years, we can remember when we first gave our hearts to God, that idealism we used to have. Do you remember that? You old timers? I'm not talking about age. I'm talking about people that have been Christians for a long time. Do you remember that excitement, that energy we had about the things of God? That vision we once had? See, that's why new people are so important to church. A person that comes to church for the first time and they're a new believer, how many of you know that we old-timers, we need those new people in our church? Because they come with excitement, they come with enthusiasm, they come with passion, they come with new eyes, they come with fresh eyes. So my desire this morning is to help you, to help us, including myself, Find that passion again in our Christian walk. And then at the end of the sermon, I'm going to offer you how God can renew the passion in your life. So pay close attention when we get to the end. I believe that we're going to find in Scripture how you can renew that passion in your life once again. So as we get started in the message this morning, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and ask for His anointing and blessing on this time together. Heavenly Father God. We're talking about the passionate, driven life, but we're also talking about the spirit-filled life. And there are many of us, we've had a long summer, we've had a long year, there are many tanks that are running on empty. There are some folks here this morning that are even running on fumes. And Father God, there's so many things in life, busyness and work and schedules, sin and carnality, that's choking the passion out of our lives. So, Father God, we ask you for forgiveness, that you would cleanse us with the blood of Christ. Lord God, we repent for our sins. We are a sinful people. Without you, we are nothing, Lord God. And we ask you now that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would inspire us once again, that you would renew our passion and our enthusiasm and our energy about serving you, living for you, and making a difference in our community. We grab hold of that promise at this moment, in Jesus' holy name. And the people of God said, Amen. 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 So we found some definitions about the word passion. And I found two definitions that I want to share with you. The first one is, an intense feeling, emotion, or desire that drives someone to action. Okay, so what is passion? Passion is an intense feeling, an intense emotion, or an intense desire. And you see, a lot of people kind of just stop there, right? A lot of people say, I'm passionate, because I have so much emotion, I'm so kinetic, I have so much energy. But what does the definition say? The definition says... If you have passion, if you have energy, if you have emotion, if you have desire, it will motivate you to action. See, that's real passion. Listen, there's a lot of us that we get very passionate about losing 40 pounds. Have I lost 40 pounds, Don, in this year? No. Okay, that's just emotion. That's just feeling, right? There's a lot of us that are very passionate. I want to learn a new language this year. And what do we do with that passion? Nothing. You know, a worship pastor friend of mine, he asked me the other day, you know, he said to me, Eddie, are you an inspirational preacher or a motivational preacher? And I said, what, where are you coming with this? What do you mean? Am I inspirational and motivational? What's the difference? And he said to me that an inspirational preacher will inspire you, but a motivational preacher will motivate you to do Something. And what does the Bible say? Let's not just be hearers of the word, let us be doers of the word. So emotion, desire, and feeling is important, but we got to put that to action. That's passion. Another definition that I found about passion is from the Greek word meaning pathos, suffering. Right, We all saw the Mel Gibson movie a couple of years ago, The Passion of the Christ. Isn't that interesting that the word passion comes from the word suffering? A couple of weeks ago, I heard a pastor who's doing very well. He's doing very well in his ministry. I I think they have like 12 or 13 campuses in six states. They have 10,000 plus folks in his church. And one of the things that he shared with us, I, I I heard him say this, is the difference between people who do what God wants them to do to the fullest extent in their life and people who don't really achieve a lot in their life is the people that go on to do great things are the people that are willing to pay the price. Did you hear that one? People that are willing to suffer and pay the price for their passion, if it's getting up in the morning or early, if it's devoting hours to something, the person who is willing to suffer and pay the price will do great things with their life. And what separates those quote-unquote great people from those that don't achieve a lot in life are the ones that are unwilling to experience the pain. And many times in life we say to ourselves, you know, why isn't my marriage doing better? You know, I've been married 10, 15, 20 years. You know, you look around at your church and you say, Man, we can do that. We can do what Lake Avenue does. We can minister in so many great ways. Why are we doing it? And then you have to come to terms with this point that I just said. Am I willing to pay the price to have a great marriage? Am I willing to pay the price? To be the person that God wants me to be. Are we willing to pay the great price to be an exceptional ministry in Pasadena? What pain, what pain are you unwilling to experience in your life to move forward in life? Passion is suffering. I found some inspiring and hopefully motivating quotes here about passion. Christian Hebel said, Nothing great in the world has ever been accomplished without passion. John Maxwell, pastor, Christian leader and speaker, he said, a great leader's courage to fulfill his vision is through passion, not position or entitlement. Dennis Waitley said, chase your passion not your pension. And there's a lot of us today, there's a lot of people in this world today that they are throwing away something very precious. It's their life and it's their calling to pursue pension, to pursue career, to pursue, to pursue financial gain. And they're ignoring that calling that God-given passion that He's given you. I believe there are people here today that you have a dream, you have a calling, you have a gifting, you have an anointing to do something specific and special in your life. And you need to pursue that. I've had so many people over the years tell me, Eddie, you need to pursue your passions. Don't compromise. Pursue your passion. It's so important. Don't pursue your pension, pursue your passion. And the last one I have here is from Abraham Heschel. A religious man is a person who holds God and man in one thought, at one time, at all times, who suffers harm done to others, whose greatest passion is compassion, whose greatest strength is love and defiance of despair. Now, all that was just the introduction. I haven't even started preaching yet. So, um, you know, this morning we're going to talk about a very passionate person in the Bible. Does anybody want to take a guess which passionate person I want to talk about in the New Testament? Peter! Right? And it rhymes too, or they both start with P, right? Passionate Peter, you know? I want to talk about how passionate this man was. And he was a very passionate man. Uh, Who was the first disciple? Who was the only disciple? In fact, who was the only other man that walked on water other than Jesus Christ? Peter, right? He was a passionate man. He was in the boat. And he was passionate, almost impulsive. And he jumped out of that boat and started to walk on water as Jesus did. We don't give him enough credit for that. Uh, Who was the man in the New Testament that spoke out of turn several times? Peter, remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and the glory of God was descending on Jesus and Peter blurted out, Should I build a shelter? And then God interrupted him and said, This is my son, listen to him. Remember that? Right? That a boy, exactly. And remember it was Peter who said, You are the Christ, the anointed one? And Jesus said, Flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Remember that? That was Peter. He would speak out of turn. Because he was passionate. Um, who was the guy who pulled out his sword and cut the ear off of the servant of the Pharisee? Who did that? Peter. Right? He was quick to the draw. Another thing that Peter did is was on Resurrection Sunday when Mary and Martha came to the disciples and told them that Jesus had risen. And Peter and John started running to the tomb. And when they got to the tomb door, they stopped. Who was the first one to run into the tomb? Peter. And then, who was the first one to speak at the day of Pentecost Pentecost, when 3,000 people were saved? Who was that? That was Peter. So Peter was a passionate man. And guess what, folks? Passion, Passion is something that God can work with. Passion is something in our lives that God needs to mold and channel. See, when Jesus found Peter, He found a man who was very passionate, very impulsive, he was ready to go, but God had to mold Peter. He had to channel Peter. He had to focus that energy like a laser beam and make him a more effective person. So I want to ask you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be um, starting at verse 1. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. We're going to see how Jesus developed and and, and molded this passion that Peter had in his life. In Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 1, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he, Jesus, sat down and taught the people from the boat. This is a very interesting scene. This is a very interesting scene. This scene is happening in the town of Bethsaida. The nickname for this town in those days was called Fish Town. This was a town where their existence was dependent on the fishing industry. If you were to go to this town in those days, you would find great mounds of salt. Salt was also a very important industry in this town. Fishing and salt. Salt and fishing. So Jesus arrives in this town... And I can see Jesus beginning to teach these people and the crowds start coming. And I can see Jesus seeing Peter in the side of his eyes right here. In the corner of his eyes, he sees Peter. And Peter is a businessman. He's in the fishing industry. He has partners. He has associates. He has a family to support. He has a mother-in-law, the Bible tells us, that he cared for. And while Jesus is doing his thing and he's teaching and Jesus' ministry is doing well and people are coming, there's growth. Here we have Peter, a fisherman, who's there by the water uh, washing his his nets. Uh, one of the other Gospels uh, says the word that he was mending his nets. I mean, my response to that is, you know, why isn't this guy out there fishing? You know, why is this guy shining his boots and ironing his... Uh, his clothes. And he should be out there fishing. You know, why is he cleaning his nets? Why is he mending his nets? He should be using those nets to catch fish. So I can begin to deduce that maybe uh, things weren't going really well for Peter's business, right? He was experiencing some hard times. In fact, the scripture is going to reveal this to us in just a little bit. A good friend of mine always tells me the story that there was a general during the Civil War and he had the best army. They had the best uh, uniforms. They had the best polished boots. They knew how to march. They knew how to drill. But he never took them into battle. He would always march them around but never take them into battle. And when I look at this church, every time I, I, I have friends come over to look at Pasadena First Baptist, I mean, they're impressed. Right? They're wide-eyed. Wow, what a, what a great facility. What a great location. You know what this church is? This church is a tool. This church is a net. And what's the purpose of a net? To catch fish. What's the purpose of this tool? What's the purpose of the church? To catch people. To win people to the Lord. And many times we as a church of Jesus Christ in 2007... We spend so much time cleaning our nets, maintaining our nets, mending our nets. And Jesus is looking at us and he's saying, you should be out there, Peter. You should be out there catching the big fish. How many of you want to catch some big fish? You want to catch some big fish? You want to learn how to catch big fish? Jesus is going to teach his disciples how to catch big fish. Let's continue reading in the text here. Luke chapter 5, verse 6. When they had done so... Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now I want you to get the nuances of what's going on in this story. Okay, So let's slow down a minute here and look at this. Jesus gets into Peter's boat and he starts preaching from Peter's boat. In other words, Jesus partnered with Peter to do ministry. And guess what happens when you or when we partner with God in ministry? Guess what happens? God will bless you. God will bless me. When we partner in ministry with the Lord, He will bless you. When Jesus got into Peter's boat and He began to preach and He began to teach... When Jesus had finished preaching, when Jesus had finished teaching, He turned His attention to Peter, and in so many words, He said to Peter, you know what, Peter, you took care of me here. You know, you welcomed me here. You allowed me to come onto your boat and to ministry here. In other words, Peter allowed Christ to partner in ministry with Peter. And He said, Peter, now I'm going to take care of you. Let's, let's take this boat for a ride. And cast your net over there. And when they did that, there was so much fish, they had to bring another boat. In other words, Jesus was rewarding Peter for partnering in ministry with God. So how many of us today want to partner in ministry with God? You want to partner with the Lord? If you partner with the Lord, I guarantee you that He will bless you. He will prosper you. He will shower blessing upon you if you make your home, your house, your finances, your life, your family, whatever you make available to God and you partner with Him, He will bless you. They came back to shore as we continue reading here. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him." You know what was very interesting to me as I was reading this scripture? I know we have a lot of uh, fuller types here. I've got a lot of Bible students here. Something that struck me that was very interesting is that Jesus said to Peter, don't be afraid. So let me ask you a question, fuller types. Where in the text does it show or demonstrate that Peter was dealing with fear? In the text that we've read, where does it talk about Peter being afraid or having fear issues? Where does it say that in the text? It doesn't really. Right? And I realize Jesus is God. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. Jesus, because He was God, He knew Peter's heart. And he knew that Peter was dealing with a fear issue. I mean, how many people do you know that have been in therapy or in counseling for years after years after years trying to deal with their core issue? How many of you are like me? How many of you are still working with some of your core issues? Anybody out there? And here we have Jesus Christ in a single afternoon cutting to the chase and getting to the real issue of Peter that Peter had a fear issue. And Jesus said to Peter, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Peter. And when Jesus unwrapped Peter and exposed Peter and made him vulnerable, he exposed that core issue that he had. Maybe your core issue this morning is fear or insecurity, or negativism, or you lack love in your life, whatever the case may be, Jesus unwrapped Peter's issue. And at that moment, Peter decided to leave everything. He left his boat, he left his business, and he followed God. How many of you, how many of us, can we even begin to imagine that one day we can be that free? I mean, how many of us want to be that free? Don't you wish you could be that free one day? Right? But we are tied to so many things in life. How many of us are tied to a mortgage? Right? Oh. Right? Credit cards. Oh. Right? How about this? How many of us are tied to a body that's aging? Right? man, I wish I could be as free as Peter. I wish I could just sell everything, pack everything, leave everything, and Jesus, I'll follow you. Let's go. He was a passionate guy. The last line. What did Jesus tell him? Peter, I will teach you. I will show you how you will become a catcher of men and women, a catcher of people. And so many times when I've heard this sermon, I've heard this message, the message of this sermon always stops here. They never really show us, okay, how did Jesus t- teach his disciples how to catch people? How did Jesus teach Peter how to catch people? Do You want me to show you this morning, in God's word, how Jesus taught Peter how to catch the multitudes? You guys want to take some time and take a look at that? Yes? One of the most important lessons that the disciples ever learned is in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 6. I have my glasses on. See, I'm tied to, to my eyes here. got to have those glasses. I'm tied to my glasses. I wish I could leave it behind, but I can't. And if I do, my wife reminds me. And I have my mother in town, so my wife and my mother remind me. Everybody's reminding me. Mark chapter 6, verse 34. This is how Jesus is going to teach Peter and his disciples how to catch people. Do you guys want to learn this morning how we can catch Pasadena? You want to learn how to catch this entire city? I'm going to show you this morning how we can catch this entire city. It's in God's Word. It's not something that I'm making up. Mark 6, verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion. Right? Compassion and passion. He had compassion passion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd so he began teaching them many things by this time it was late in the day so his disciples came to him this is a remote place they said and it is already very late and what did the disciples say send the people away so they can go get to the go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves uh, something to eat and then what did Jesus say? But he answered, you, you give them something to eat. Now, I want, I want you to get this. I want you to get what's going on here in this story. Jesus is, he's on fire, man. I mean, he, he, he's teaching and he's preaching and, and, and it's just getting good. You know, we're just getting started. Ever heard that term? You know, when you're having church and the music and the worship is so good and you don't ever want it to end, right? And the worship leader says, hey, you know, we're just getting started here. I mean, this was starting to get really good. And then what do the disciples do? Eh, time out. Jesus, it's getting late. Right? Pastor, you're preaching too long. It's almost lunchtime. Right? Jesus, it's almost dinner time. You know, uh, send the crowd away. Let them get their own food. And Jesus is looking like, come on, guys. It's just getting good. I'm just getting started. You know, it's, it's we're getting to the good part. And you want to send them away. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, does it? It doesn't really seem that the disciples were that great at catching people. So then Jesus put it on the disciples. He said to them, You give them to eat. You serve them. You take care of them. You find food for them. You provide for them. You visit the poor. You take care of the widows. You take care of the orphans. You visit the prisoners in jail. You see, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Steve Joyce and I went to the National Outreach Convention in San Diego. And the whole topic was about evangelism and reaching your community. And I bumped into an old friend. Uh, my wife and I, we met in Bible College in the state of Louisiana. And uh, there was a youth pastor, and he had a ministry called Crossfire. They probably had about a thousand people in the youth ministry. And his name is Dino Rizzo. He's an Italian guy that lives in in, in Louisiana. And um, anyways, he's done really well. He's done really well. Uh, I went to his his workshop that he did, and uh, his church has grown. They have about five campuses. And and basically, uh, he told us that the way they reach their city is through service. You know, he he told us that uh, he was reading the paper. And he saw that in their town they were doing like a cancer walk. There was going to be about 10,000 people there. And he said that he didn't have a staff large enough to, to, to put on that kind of event. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to partner with the city. So he called the cancer people and he said, is there anything that our church can do? He said, is there anything as simple or as menial as picking up the trash? And guess what they said to him? You think they told him no? No, they said, come on down. You come to our event and your church people can pick up the trash. Well, guess what happened the following year? The following year they asked him to actually join the planning committee. Okay? And guess what happened the year after that? He said that he was actually uh, running the event now. And it all started because that church was willing to serve their community. I mean, the youth, the young adults, the adults in that church, they're always out in the community wearing these red shirts that say serve. They're doing free rummage sales, car washes, picking up trash, getting involved in their community, getting outside the four walls of the church, and getting out into the community because they are willing to serve. And when you go out there and you serve people like Jesus did with his own disciples by washing their feet, What did Jesus say? I did not come uh, to be served, but I came to serve. serve. You know, one of the interesting things that happened in my life is when I was in in the army in those days, uh, during Operation Desert Storm, I was around 19, 20 years old. Just a young, single guy. You know? And uh, I I didn't really have much going on. I wasn't like like the other soldiers. You know, they would go out to... Bars and clubs and, you know, I was basically just there in the barracks all the time. I did a little Bible study with some of the guys. I I really didn't have a lot going on. You know, I just did what I could as far as the ministry was concerned. And one of the things that uh, people hate doing in the army is called KP duty, right? Kitchen police, right? That's something that soldiers hate to do is to go into the kitchen and get up in the morning with the mess sergeants and clean the pots and clean the pans and uh, so one day I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to volunteer and do kitchen police. I have nothing else to do. Everybody's either getting drunk or going to clubs, right? So I volunteered to do duty, to wash the pots and clean the dishes. And you can't even imagine the impact that had with the mess sergeants. And all the, all the mess sergeants were African American. It was very interesting in Louisiana because on one side of the barracks, were the African Americans and on the other side of the barracks were the Caucasians. And I was the Mexican in the middle. <laughs> so I said, you know, which side? Which side? Which side's going to take me? You know, I was taking bids. You know, who wants the Mexican? <laughs> and when I offered to serve, there's the word serve, the guys took me in and they made me one of their own through service. And if we can do service in our community, I believe that we can capture their imagination. And that's what the battle is in our world. If you talk about iPod, you talk about Apple, you talk about IBM, you talk about Microsoft, you talk about Wall Street, you talk about Madison Avenue, what are they all working hard to do right now? TV, movies, radio, magazines. What are they trying to do? They're trying to capture the imagination of the people. They're trying to capture their attention. But we as a church of Jesus Christ, we as the body of the living and most high God, we have something better than an iPod. Right? We have something better than the world has. We have the answer. We have the truth. We have the light that is Jesus Christ. It's not that hard. All we have to do is go out there and show it to them. And we'll be able to catch them. How many of you believe that this morning? How many of you can get excited about that this morning? Where's the passion? Am I hearing the passion out there? Let's give the Lord praise. Now, I know I'm probably going a little bit long. And uh, I'm going to wrap it up here. All right? I'm going to wrap it up. And, and I, I want to show you one last thing that happened in, in, in Peter's life. And um, I'm going to go ahead and ask the musicians to come up here, and just to be ready. Just come up and, you know, do your thing. And it's still going to be a a minute or two. Um, If you look in your Bibles, in John chapter 21, this is several years later in the life of Peter. Several years later in the life of Peter in John chapter 21. And Jesus had, had been crucified, and Jesus had resurrected from the dead. And uh, Peter had denied Christ three times. And Peter was once again uh, hitting some hard times in his life. And it's so interesting in John 21 that Peter ends up doing the same thing he was doing two, or three years prior. He ends up back on a boat fishing with his disciples. Peter had a great calling in his life, great potential. He had great opportunity to do some great things. But because of guilt and shame, because of failure, he found himself right back in the same spot. I mean, how many times has that happened to you? It's happened to me, right? How many of you realize that when you're ready to take an incredible step in your spiritual growth in your spiritual development when god is ready to do something incredible in your life incredible thing in your life with one misstep we can be where right back where we started so in john 21 we find this scene where where peter is fishing again and not only that he was also being very unsuccessful i mean he wasn't even fishing well They hadn't really caught a lot of fish. He was right back in the same position because of guilt and shame. He hadn't grown. He hadn't really developed like we think he should have. But God was working on him. God was molding him. And Jesus came up to to the seashore there with the disciples and he said to them, Friends, have you caught any fish? You know, it's almost like a replay of three years prior. Same thing. Same thing happening all over again. And of course it was John, um, the beloved, who was the first one to say, that's Jesus. And because Peter didn't want to be showed up by John, what did Peter do? He jumped in the water and he swam to Christ. And by the time all the disciples that were there, there was about six of them that day, when they got to Christ, Christ was was, uh, cooking fish on the coals. And he said to them, you know, Bring bring more fish. And the Bible says that nobody talked. No one said a word. Not one person said anything. They were afraid. They were afraid to ask Jesus anything. This was a very, a huge moment in all of their lives. And when they had finished eating the fish, uh, Jesus turned his attention to Peter. He put Peter in the hot seat. This passionate man that we've been talking about that needed to be molded. And some commentators and some uh, scholars don't know exactly what he was referring to. And I'm going to explain that. But he turned his attention to Peter and he said to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? You know, and some commentators, some scholars, they don't know if he was talking about the fish or if he was talking about the other disciples. Do you love me more than the other disciples do? Do you love me more than you love these fish? You know, and for a guy, you know, how many guys has a wife ever said to you, hey, do you love me more than your car? Right? See, we get asked those questions as men all the time. You know, do you love me more than your TV? Right? But you know what? Hey, when you go home, guys, tell your wife, do you love me more than your shoes? <laughs> but when somebody asks me, do you love me more than your car? or some, Do you love me more than your... TV. That's almost kind of like, come on, what are you talking about? That hurts, right? Right, men? That hurts when the wife asks us that. Come on, you know that I love you, honey. I love you more than my car or my TV. But Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? And uh, Jesus used the, the, the Greek word agape. Do you love me supremely, divinely, above all things, Peter? And Peter responded, uh, Yeah, I like you. I'm very fond of you. He used the Greek word phileo. And then Jesus asked him again, Peter, do you love me above all things, supremely? And Peter answered again, uh, I like you. I'm very fond of you. And then a third time, Jesus asked Peter, Do you love me? And by that time, Peter was very hurt. And he said, Jesus, you know that I love you. You know, h- how do you rekindle that passion in your life? How can you rekindle that excitement, that energy? Maybe you've lost it this year. Maybe you've lost it this summer. That enthusiasm, that spark about reading God's word, about praying, about living a holy life, a sanctified life, about being used of God in a great way. Maybe you've lost that spark. And the way you rekindle that passion is by loving your God more than anything else in your life. And that's how he rekindled Peter's passion. You have to love me, Peter. And then after he rekindled that love with Peter, what did he tell Peter three times? Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, serve my body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, you are working on each one of us. We are all on a journey. You are molding each one of us. And Father God, before you can rekindle the passion, you need to rekindle the love. And there's no easy way about it. Either we love you or we don't. We cannot serve two masters, we cannot love you and the world we get so caught up with life and schedules and busyness and doing things and going places that if we've lost that passion, that spark, maybe it's because we've lost our first love. And if we've been lukewarm in our Christian walk about being committed followers of Christ, about being disciples, about being in your word, about being in prayer, about living in holiness we ask you that you would forgive us, that you would refocus us, that we would love you supremely above all things, Lord God. And by so doing, you would rekindle our passion and our compassion to serve others. We pray you would do this work. In Jesus' holy name. And if that was your heart prayer, if that was your heart prayer this morning, I want you to say amen. I want to hear those amens if that was your prayer. Amen. Amen. God bless you. And we love you this morning. Amen.